I'm going to hand straight over to you, Amanda. Is that all right? Great. Thanks so much, Mike, for putting me first. It means I can actually concentrate on the other two talks. And as I said to Brett when he was saying, oh, no, I'm last, it's clearly age before beauty. (laughs) So, as you heard, I'm Amanda. I'm married to Brian. We've been married 25 years. I've got two lovely teenagers. One's visiting the other at university this weekend. Yes. Um, I oversee playtime as a part-time job here. And I'm also a part-time theology student. And last but not least, uh, as a family, we're part of the fantastic student family here, and that's a real privilege. (laughs) I've been a Christian since I was seven. Um, I made a commitment one summer, um, and so this summer, I'll have been living knowing the hope of Jesus as my saviour and friend for 40 years. That sounds great, doesn't it? I've got a loving family, two kids who follow Jesus, Supportive friends, a rewarding job with great colleagues, challenging study, a place of belonging and service in this body. And yet, I suffer from depression. I um, came off antidepressants for the second time last summer. My hope is built on Jesus and has been pretty much ever since I can remember But depression can suck pretty much all the hope out of life. It's affected me in various ways. I gave up secondary school teaching 23 years ago because the stress exacerbated my depression so much that I just couldn't function. In my most recent bout, I met every college deadline. I didn't miss a day at work due to low mood. I attended meetings, fed lots of students, then came home and collapsed utterly unable to function, to do anything. I had the lack of sleep, lack of concentration, lack of motivation, lack of any sort of drive, and perhaps most pertinent for this talk, lack of ability and sometimes desire to connect with God. In the depths of depression, and honestly, sometimes now on just low mood days, I've found it impossible to pray, at least for myself, to hang out with God, hear from him. At times, I might as well have been speaking to the ceiling or the wardrobe. There have been times where I've found it almost impossible to find meaning in what I've been reading in his word, to do anything other than go through the motions in worship. Frankly, there's been times when I haven't even wanted to try. Working for church and studying with a bunch of other Christians means avoiding spending time with God is actually quite difficult. But I have to admit, there have been times in staff prayers, sorry Mike, where having been invited to spend time with God on my own, I've been running through my mental to-do list for the day. That all sounds pretty hopeless, not hope-filled. I've realised that living with low mood means I can have a tendency to live in fear rather than hope. Last autumn, Brian and I went to see you two in Manchester They were brilliant. Bono said, fear is man's best friend. That absolutely hit me in the gut. I sat and I pondered what that meant for me. A friend, someone who's easy to spend time with, it's comfortable to be around. Yeah, sometimes that's how I behave. I have coping mechanisms I use to get through when I'm feeling low, avoiding life through watching mindless telly, withdrawing, scrolling. Even though I'm no well most of the time, I can choose to hang on to that old, familiar behaviour rather than living in the hope of knowing I'm adopted as a child of the king and therefore I don't have to live in slavery to fear. 
In order to prepare for this talk, I listened to all of the previous talks in the sermon series, one after the other on Monday and Tuesday. In the very first sermon, Mike quoted from Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then he commented on how often this passage is um, taken out of context. You see, Jeremiah is speaking at a time when the ten tribes of the northern kingdom are in exile, and Judah, the two tribes in the south around Jerusalem, are being ruled by a succession of bad kings. Jeremiah prophesies that Judah will soon be punished. And it's into this context that God still says he has a plan for Judah to give them a hope and a future. Despite what the circumstances might look like, God has not abandoned his people. He still has a plan. Jeremiah also writes Lamentations, a series of poems written about the devastated city of Jerusalem and her inhabitants. In the middle of a pretty sticky situation, this is what Jeremiah writes. It's from Lamentations 3. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great hope, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Now, my soul may well have been downcast an awful lot of the time. My affliction has been nothing in comparison to Jerusalem's, yet I've still been pretty bitter. Jeremiah calls to mind what God is like that he loves, he's compassionate, he's faithful, he's good. And knowing what God is like, Jeremiah has hope. I think this is something that God is teaching me to do, to actively call to mind the truth of who God is and what he's like, rather than relying on my coping mechanisms. Knowing God's bigger picture, that one day there will be a renewed heaven and a renewed earth, that God will dwell with us, that we will be his people and he will be our God that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That gives me hope. Well, that's a bit airy-fairy. How do I choose to live in the light of that eternal hope when in the here and now it all might seem pretty rubbish? Now, I'm not saying I've got this nailed. I'm absolutely not. And I'm not saying that mental health issues can simply be prayed away or whatever. But these are some of the things that help me. My first top tip is to read his word if not every day, then regularly. How can I possibly stand on the hope of who God is and what he's done if I don't actually know it and read it for myself? Also, I've chosen to be honest and open and vulnerable. When I'm feeling rubbish, my nearest and dearest certainly know all about it. But it's not just my nearest and dearest. If you're my friend on Facebook, you'll know that I'm pretty open about what's going on. I celebrate the small victories but I'm also honest about how living with depression can affect me. I refuse to live in shame about depression. So I bring it out into the light. It gives others the opportunity to open up to me with their struggles too, and perhaps give me the opportunity to share some of my hope. I've needed to spend time with other people who have that same hope, to keep my hope alive. Now, being in team prayers before the service... In a community of believers who believe that God does speak, and where there's space provided, 
uh, for God to give words for the service or for healing. That does give me hope that God would speak and to speak to me and through me. And in team prayers, even in the midst of depression, he did. I've needed to be part of a praying and worshipping community. Some of you have prayed for me when I couldn't pray myself. And just like Joe said a few weeks ago, you've worshipped for me when I couldn't sing myself. Yeah, there have been times when I couldn't sing, but if I've been calling to mind the truth of who God is, I should know that he is worthy of all praise and he made me and I am his. I should worship with gladness when I can. I sing and dance. Yes, I know I look a fool, but I do that to worship God even when I don't feel like it. I'm worshipping because of who he is, not who I am. I'm not faking it till I make it, not at all, but I'm choosing to believe and behave in the light of hope that I have in the truth of who God is and the hope of who I am as his child. Romans 8:16 says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What does this testifying mean exactly? Tom Wright says that it's a def- difficult, a delicate matter to describe. So if it's a delicate matter, I'm going to use his words, not mine. He says, it's a common Christian experience that while many of the thoughts in our mind seem to come from the ordinary flow of consciousness within us, sometimes we find other thoughts which seem to come from somewhere else, hinting gently but powerfully at God's love, at our calling to holiness, at particular tasks which we must give energy and attention Now, when depressed, I rarely have that experience of his spirit testifying with mine that I'm loved. My faith became very cerebral, all in my head, knowing that I'm God's but not feeling it, not experiencing those gentle, powerful hints, as Wright puts it, of God's love. Now, I know my hope, your hope, is not based on feelings or experiences, but that reaffirmation of being loved does build hope. I am so thankful for the times that when Holy Spirit has reaffirmed his love for me in the last few months. In the midst of tens of thousands at a rock concert, Holy Spirit spoke to me through pride. I knew again who that one man was who came in the name of love. And I knew again that he loved me. And that night in a get 2 gig, I worshipped in spirit and in truth. So to sum up then, what does hope mean to me? It's knowing who God is, knowing who I am as his child, even in the midst of depression. Or, as another favourite band once put it, on Christ the solid rock I will stand when all around is sinking sand. I need to read his word to confirm this hope. My hope's encouraged, though not dependent on Holy Spirit testifying that I'm loved, and is supported by being in community with others who have that same hope. I need the Bible, Holy Spirit, and community to raise my hope. What do you need to raise yours? Thank you so much, Amanda. That's brilliant. We're just going to take a moment because we've got two others and it's easy to forget what God might be saying. Just let's take a few moments. Just be asking the Holy Spirit, what, what is it that he wants to speak to you about with that? You may already know. If there was something particular, can I encourage you to make a note? It's so easy to lose these things.
Great. Well, we'll move on to our next TED Talker, Sam Rogers. Where are you? There you are. Let's give a welcome to Sam. Great. There you go. Hi, mate. You all right? Hello. Um, yes, my name's Sam. Um, I'm 34. Um, a lot of what I'm going to be talking about might be read off some of this. Apologies if it sounds a little bit robotic. It's just that I really struggle to sort of like not waffle. So as soon as I start talking in front of people, then I'll be here for like 20 minutes. So by sticking to this, it will help me to kind of stay within a sort of time frame. Like when I was practicing, it was like 20 minutes odd. So... Um, so my name's Sam, as I was saying, 34, um, been married for 11 years, uh, I've got two kids, Dottie, uh, who's five, and Nathan, who's one. Um, I work for uh, British Gas as a metering engineer, and my hobbies are cooking, particularly barbecues, absolutely love barbecues, got like five of them, it's my favourite thing in the world. Travelling, I love gin, camping, uh, and I'm really passionate about foreign mission and supporting men with mental health issues. Um, the title of my TED Talk is, Have You Given Up on the Hope of Seeing People Come to God? Uh, specifically, the difficult ones. Um, if I can ask you to do something really quickly for me, if you could just close your eyes, it's only going to be for, like, for 10 seconds, if you can just close your eyes, I want you to picture someone um, that you would never imagine becoming a Christian in a million years. Remember, that's a family member, a spouse a uni flatmate, work colleague, or maybe you. Maybe you've been dragged here against your will. If so, welcome. Um, open your eyes and try and remember that person because you're going to hopefully be praying for them later. Um, if, you were in the, if you were the congregation of the church where I grew up uh, when I was a teenager, you'd have probably been thinking about me. Um, when I was a teenager, I was a bit of a nightmare. Uh, I'm going to quickly try and talk you through how I became a Christian and why I'm really grateful for a geeky board gaming, board gaming enthusiast uh, who sort of poured a lot of hope into our estate. Um, as I said, I grew up in Southampton. Um, I live with my mum. My dad left when I was about two or three. Uh, we were very poor. We didn't have any food or any furniture. Um, my mum did the best that she could. Um, but I'm going to be honest, I really didn't enjoy my childhood. It, it, was, it was horrible. And don't get me wrong, um, I know there's kids out there who've had much worse childhoods, kids who have seen genocide and, you know, child soldiers in the Congo. Um, but I grew up in a very dysfunctional, very abusive household. Um, there was, I felt very lonely, neglected. I felt like everything was my fault. I was always being told off. Um, punishments would sometimes be physical, but more often it was emotional. Um, and spending love and affection and spending time with me be withdrawn for long periods of time. Um, probably because I reminded my mum of my dad, who she absolutely hated, and he hated her. Um, I didn't do very well at primary school. Um, I'd steal and fight, act up to get attention from teachers. Um, and by secondary school, my mum had remarried and had my little sister, Chloe, uh, this made things even worse. Uh, I clashed with my stepdad. Um, I felt like I was living in someone else's house pretty much all the time. I was just a ghost. Uh, my secondary school was a feeder school for all the worst estates in our area. Uh, it was about 1,400 kids, all lads, and it was like a borstal. Um, in that school, there were constant fights, 
fire alarms, drugs, teachers would get attacked, uh, students and actually teachers carried knives. Um, I'm not even joking, we had a South African teacher who was so scared about the kids that he brought a Bowie knife into school with him and he kept it in his briefcase and we only found out about it because someone pinched it and it had to go out over the tannoy, can such and such have his Bowie knife back, it was a gift from his dad. Um, most of the teachers in our school were foreign, um, that was because this was the, ours was the only school that would take them uh, and most teachers only last a few months. Kids would drive stolen cars to school and park them in the staff car park. Um, I made friends with all the lads from that school, um, mostly from my estate. Uh, as a group of lads, we were really well known. Uh, we used to break into houses. We'd steal cars, uh, joyride while we were drunk. I did every drug I could get my hand on, apart from ones that you needed to inject because I'm scared of needles, really scared of needles. Um, I'd drink alcohol pretty much every day at school. And that was pretty much from like the age of about 13. Uh, sometimes the teachers would join in. Um, we were well known for fighting in our group. And I was always covered in lumps, bruises, cuts, slashes, scars, stitches and untreated breaks. I'd carry knives, screwdrivers, hammers just to pop out to get a pint of milk in case I got jumped. I felt I had to do that a lot of the time. And the few times when I didn't have something on me was when something bad would happen. Uh, one time... I wasn't carrying anything. I was in a pub at about 15. Uh, I got pulled out by a gang of about 10 lads. Took into a, an alleyway. Uh, was beaten with fists and bricks uh, for about an hour. Um, left an absolute state. And it only stopped when uh, one of the lads was going to carve his name into my forehead with a Stanley knife. And um, one of the other lads on their team, like when they grew a gang or whatever, started throwing up because it was starting to get to a bit too much for him. Um, that was just exactly what my life was pretty much all the time. One of my best friends when I was about 15 was a heroin addict. Uh, he saw his girlfriend get murdered. Um, I was a heroin addict. Um, I used to get arrested quite a lot. Um, the main, when people say to me, how did you become a Christian? My main route for becoming a Christian was actually I got arrested. Um, I got arrested for setting fire to some church property. Um, the police picked me up. We were messing around. Um, the police took me um, to the vicar. The vicar said, I'm not going to press any charges. I'm really glad he's not hurt. Um, meant a huge amount to me. It was one of the first times that anyone had ever shown me any grace. Um, really deeply, deeply impacted me. He introduced me to a guy called Andrew, who was this incredibly geeky, middle-class um, board game geek um, who had, had this mammoth task of trying to like turn around a council estate of all these like proper chavs. And he was just like the biggest geek ever. He was newly married, um, lovely guy. Uh, he was actually the best man at my wedding. Um, we're still very, very close now. Um, he started up a youth group, which was really popular in our sort of in our states. Um, he set up safe houses, so um, we would all come round to his house and we would basically take the mick out of it. We would trash his house. We would um, eat all his toast, drink all his tea. I'd often nick his car and drive it over the other side of the city. Um, tried to find and push for that kind of limit to where his grace was, and we never found it. He was an amazing man, really, really special guy. Um, another thing that he had done is he petitioned the church massively to kind of uh, money and resources and stuff like that. It was a very old church, um, just an old Methodist church. Most of the congregation were elderly, terrified of us, um, but they gave lots of money and paid for a lot of us to be able to go away to Christian camps like Soul Survivor. 
Um, fast forward a couple of years of being friends with Andrew. Um, I'd just recently been kicked out of college for bringing a fake gun in and letting it off in a cafeteria um, and cheating on all my coursework. Um, my parents had moved to Norfolk. Um, my mum was adopted and she found a real family. Um, and they just gave me a few weeks' notice and then they left. Um, I was homeless living in a car. Um, and then we had gone to Soul Survivor that summer. Uh, me, big group of friends, and our entire intention was basically to try and pull Christian girls because apparently it was a bit of a challenge. So we were trying to sort of pull as many Christian girls as we could, being all really, pretending to be really holy. Like, oh, yeah, just, just, just come back from praying, yeah. And um, part of the agreement was if we, were, if, we went, if we got this free holiday was we had to go along to probably like one session a day. That's the most that we could handle. Um, most of the time it was the most long one, which was the evening session, and it was the most boring one because the end bit took forever because for 20 minutes everyone was just going, ah! And so we were just going out of our mind. Um, but there was one actually out of that year when we were there and I was 17, there was one song that I really liked and it was a song called Forever. And um, as we were sing- singing along to it, I was singing along to it in my head. And then as I was singing along to it in my head, I started singing along to it with my mouth. Um, all of a sudden, really, really powerfully, I really, really wanted to cry. Um, deep, 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 deep down. Um, stop, stop singing, stop wanting to cry. And then started singing, wanted to cry. I thought it was really weird. Um, so I turned around to my best friend, Paul, uh, who was with me, and I said to him, Paul, mate, every time I keep singing these God songs, I keep wanting to cry. And he said, me too. So um, we chatted to Andrew, and he basically sort of said to us, I think that, you know, it's the Holy Spirit wanting to kind of sort of, I don't know, fill you and talk to you and, and show you that he's, that he's real. And, you know, a lot of people, when I've talked, I've, I've done this kind of, test me sometimes in schools or prisons and people have come up to me like quinoa eating vegans who kind of come up to me and say oh maybe you had some repressed um memories from a childhood i'm like no i'm a very black and white person and i know (laughs) that that was that was that was god i knew for an absolute fact that was god trying to do something independently me and 14 of my friends all became christians that night um we all came back into our estate where I think about uh, over the course of that year, I think about 40 or 50 other kids all became Christians. It's like a mini like revival in our estate. It was really, really cool. Um, after that, um, a, church, a family from that church took me in, uh, lived with them, managed to get back into a different college because that first one wouldn't have me back. Um, got into a different college, managed to get to uni, um, completed uni with good grades. Um, I joined Youth for Christ. I was a a rapper and a break dancer for a Christian pop group for a long time, working as like an evangelist in schools and prisons. Um, and then uh, done quite a lot of work with YWAM, going around the world, um, sort of doing missionary work. Um, so I'm very thankful for the hope that Andrew Chapman, uh, who is the youth worker at that time, had in me. And I just wanted to say, who are you hoping for today? And please don't give up on them. Thanks, Sam. Let's do the same thing. Let's just pause for a moment and just allow God to speak to us. Do make a note, please, if there is something particular that God's speaking to you about.
Great. Brett, please come up. Let's give a warm welcome to Brett. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Um, wow, thank you so much. That was amazing. Um, God's good, isn't he? Um, it's Kenneth. Hi, I'm Brett. Hi, everyone. Um, it's really difficult to see you, so if you want to say hi or anything, just shout really loudly and I'll hear you. Yeah. Um, I'd like to talk to you a bit about sun cream today, if that's all right. Bit of an old one, I know. Um, uh, just because of the weather and because God told me to talk to you about it, so that's what I'm going to do. Um, the sun's nature is to shed light. Uh, when we choose to spend time exposed to its rays, we anticipate the side effects and we prepare accordingly. Uh, what do we all do, or should we do, uh, before we bathe in the sun? Um, you don't need to be an expert to know it, uh, but you're meant to wear sun cream. If you don't, you know, you can get sunburned pretty badly. Um, that's what happens when you spend a lot of the time in the sun, and we all know that. Um, if we do this for the sun, uh, the question that God started to ask me is, why do we so often forget to do this when we start spending time with Jesus? Um, some of us, me included, don't anticipate that God will be who he says he is, and we don't prepare accordingly. When we pray, it's in God's nature to bless us. He provides for his children. I was praying for a verse today, and um, uh, Matthew 7, 7, 8 kept coming up. Uh, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. God's promises to us aren't in vain. Our dad in heaven loves to give good gifts. Don't give up in your efforts to seek God. Continue to ask him for more knowledge, patience, wisdom, love, and understanding. And he'll give them to you. That gives me hope. Um, for me, I learned to pray expectantly that God would heal my relationship with my brother. Uh, my brother, Nate, is 13 months younger than me, um, and he is uncannily similar to me in so many ways. Uh, we do all the same sports. Uh, we have the same friends. Um, we do the same subjects at school. We're both musical, play drums. He plays at church as well. Um, and our girlfriends look <laughs> kind of creepily similar. <laughs> um, but uh, growing up, we fought and argued like most brothers do. Uh, if you've got a brother, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, but as we got older and we started to understand who we were in Jesus a bit more, um, we didn't grow out of it as we expected. Um, we started to argue even more, and sometimes to the point where what I was saying, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was just saying really hateful things to my brother. Um, for a while, it really drove a wedge between us, um, and I was always expecting the worst when I saw my brother, um, and he was expecting the worst in me as well. I wasn't an only child, but I was acting like I was an orphan. Um, one time, we broke the peace in the house, and, uh, well, my mum won't let that happen. Uh, she's from the south of America, and she has a very strong attitude, um, and she was like, go into that room uh, and sort yourselves out or don't come out, which <laughs> we didn't want to admit it, but we're kind of scared. Um, 
So we sat there initially, arms crossed, kind of brewing in resentment, arguing over what I don't even remember anymore. Um, but slowly we started to talk. What I was perceiving as annoying and irritating, he thought he was being playful um, and just joking around. When I tried to give him advice and help, it was seen as condescending and arrogant. Competition and comparison was keeping us from thriving in our relationship and our friendship. We had been expecting the worst in each other, not hoping for and anticipating the best. The more we talked, the more we realized that we did love each other. We did want to be friends. We loved being brothers, but we had just forgotten how to show each other that. Um, and we probably made the best decision we've ever made, which was to pray. We didn't know what it would look like, but we thought it was the right thing to do. Um, we invited God into the muck and trusted in him. That comparison and competition wasn't from God. We have a hope grounded in the fact that Jesus lived on earth and went through everything that we did without messing up. In Hebrews 4.15, it says this, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. He relates to us and he understands how we feel. Whether it's being right in an argument and having to get your point across, or seeking justice for harm done to you, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. So why do we try and condemn others and fail to see them as God sees them? We're all his precious children, and he made all of us. In Jesus, an orphan identity, where we feel obliged to fight for ourselves and what we deserve, is replaced with an identity of adoption, where we get an inheritance from God in Christ. And that's countless heavenly riches and blessings that we can't even get on this earth. Regret and shame is exchanged for delight and grace in Christ. Comparison and competition that I had is swapped out for encouragement and selflessness. Pride is defeated with humility and hate is changed out for perfect love. If there are people in your life that to the world don't deserve your love and where hope of relationship seems lost, look to Jesus. Pray and ask for restoration and healing and anticipate amazing things to happen. In Jesus' perfect love, all else fades into the background. We can forgive freely because he forgives us. We can love without expecting anything in return because he first loved us. For me and my brother... I thank God that he brought healing and helped us take that first step together. I'm thankful that God restored a shared passion for biking, that we have incredible adventures in his creation together. Thank you, God, that he's getting married and that my first reaction was joy and excitement, not jealousy and comparison. Thank you that Nate asked me to be his best man. When we prayed, we didn't know what God would do, but we anticipated it was worth doing and fought to stay in each other's lives. We believed that God could and would restore our relationship and trusted each other into his hands. Nate has grown to be an amazing man of God, and I'm so proud of him. And I see him as a brother in Christ and a friend, and I try not to see him as just my little brother anymore. Um, I challenge you guys today 
Where in your life do you need to hope for and anticipate breakthrough? Thanks. Great, let's just pause again. Thanks, Brett. so good isn't it to hear people's testimony and their own walk with God and hear what it means for them I hope that you have um, had your hope raised by hearing those I, I, I know we are going slightly over time and thank you for sticking with us on this um, I'd love to give an opportunity for us just to respond it's right to respond and um, in a moment, the band are going to lead us in a song. This, here are the challenges that each of the speakers have given us. What do you need to raise your hope? And I'd also like to add that one to Amanda. If you want to just come, because I'm going to call people forward on this as we, as we worship. And if you know God is speaking to you, come forward and stand in this space as we worship. Um, if you want to just stand here, if, you, if, if Amanda's word about mental illness and struggling... If that means something to you and you want to just stand with your family, this is the family of God here, and if you want people to just stand with you and bless you, um, then come forward and do that as well. Because I think, I think that's really important, that you know that you are supported and prayed for. There was, there's a couple of words that come out of these TED Talks. So there's sometimes times when you don't feel you can worship or you don't feel you can come into God's presence, but your family around you do that for you on your behalf. And that's really important. So if you feel like that today, Please come. No one will ask you anything unless you want to speak. But we will bless you and stand with you. Have you given up hope of seeing people saved? If there is someone particularly where you know that's true for you, come forward and bring them, if you like, forward with you. And uh, offer them to God and we'll bless you as well. And where in your life do you need to hope and anticipate breakthrough? That Brett's thing about with his brother is the relationship with his brother. Have you got relationships in your life where you need to have that hope again from God? Um, and where you want to see breakthrough. So can I encourage you all to stand? When the band start playing, if you want to respond and you want to be blessed, the prayer team, all, all they'll do is they'll come around to you and they will bless you and they will stand with you. Um, there will be opportunity for prayer at the end of the service if you want to pursue that further and you want to actually talk to someone about something that you want prayer for. But let's just worship together. Let's respond to God. Let's declare he is our living hope. And let's respond if we need to and come forward into this space.